Hi, my name is Gerald Murphy, and I'm the writer of Married Man Seeks Audiologist. My name is John Kavanagh. I'm playing the part of Jim in uh, Married Man Seeks Audiologist. I'm actually deaf in one ear from birth, and my wife suggested that I should go get the good one checked out, so to speak. So both of us went to a hearing test centre because they require spouses to go with their partners to uh, get their hearing examined. And we had a very interesting encounter with the audiologist. So after we left the uh, hearing aid centre, my wife suggested to me that this would make a very good setting for a radio play. Plays about a man, I mean, this man Jim, and he said he's having a midlife crisis. I think he's almost having a nervous breakdown and he's just going through, it's a stream of consciousness, uh, talking to his head, his heart. Conversation that you should be having with somebody else, imaginary conversation with a former girlfriend, and it's just that. And then there's uh, family life, and uh, we can all um, familiar. I were all familiar with that, and you know the ups and downs of having daughters and 13 years of age, or whatever age they are. And I've been through it myself, so I kind of empathise with that. And it's a very funny play. I have been thinking about the midlife crisis in men, the male midlife crisis. So what does that actually mean? Why do men suddenly start to behave? out of character. And I think from the from the beginning I was always going to be treating it in a comic way because I think sometimes it's hard to take men seriously especially as seriously as they might take themselves. So I was always going to approach it from a humorous point of view. So it was kind of the fusion of those two ideas that gave me the impetus to begin this play. So I had a world and a theme and a tone at that point. No, but we all have sort of ups and downs, you know, and decisions, trying to make decisions, and um, they're doing this, that, should I do this play or that play? That's the sort of crisis I'd have, you know. I mean, it's mainly making decisions about what to do, actually, you know. Um, turning, what to turn down. I mean, <laughs> I spend my life turning... Well, I do actually spend a life turning a lot of things down. But I mean, I just try to accommodate as many people as I There's only so many works you can do in a year, you know. I don't have enough time sometimes. Well, a lot of the interesting encounter, actually, some of it, I should say, probably not a lot, some of it is in the play. So if you listen to the play, you, <laughs> you'll hear what went on. I love the writing. I love the dialogue. I mean, it's very naturalistic dialogue and it's saying something that's important that I think people can relate to. That's what I like about it. And also it's funny. So I began writing songs. Uh, I come from a family of two brothers. and Around about age 12, we used to try and write songs together. So I began my writing songs and I continued doing that into my 20s. At the same time, I was writing more kind of dirgy poetry stuff. And then that became, eventually that sort of took over. And then I started writing uh, narratives and then I started writing pieces to perform for myself. And then literally from monologues to duologues to full-length plays. No, before, yeah, I was in the Abbey School, but before that I was in the Brendan, at the Brendan Smith Academy, which was a fantastic place. I mean, I only joined, before that I was a cinema manager, but I only joined because um, uh, I, I thought that you could get into the film business that way because I wanted to be a film technician. I was mad about cinematography, you know, and I read that prospectus and somebody had been placed um, in some sort of position like that, you know, and I thought, oh, that's the place to go. So I joined. I thought, oh, no, this is not the place. <laughs> so... Uh, um, uh, so, so then I just fell into it. was there for two years and um, uh, and we had a great social life because we had our own players council and everything it was wonderful and um, 
And because Brendan Smith was the chairman of the board of the Olympia Theatre, we put a production on there uh, at night before an audience for a couple of nights. It was, and it got reviewed, which was extraordinary, you know. I gave up songwriting a long time ago. <laughs> but I still have an ambition to write songs. So I think because I stopped at a certain point, it's hard to kind of pick up from where I left off. Uh, but it is still an ambition to write some songs, yeah, for sure. So I think in that sense, I'm I'm a frustrated musician, I think. So I think when I'm writing, I hear the play as a piece of music. So for me, it's a, a lot of it, it's about like shifting tonalities, rhythms, counterpoints. So I think in terms of music. I joined the Abbey Company in 1967. What's that? 50 years? 50 years. Jesus. I must be old. Good job, McKean. My day job is I'm a teacher in Ballyfermot College of Further Education. I teach screenwriting, uh, film studies, acting for animators and other performance-related subjects. It's inspiring to meet the up-and-coming generation and to engage with what they're interested in and to communicate with them, uh, to reach out to them, to find out what they're interested in and to get them to put away their smartphones for half an hour at a time. That's always a challenge. It was a ladies' boys' school in Milltown, and Mr Patrick McNulty was the headmaster, and he was a, such a go-ahead man, you know. It was, it was a national school that actually had its own library. I was the librarian. It's unheard of in a national school. He was really go-ahead, you know, because he knew that a lot of the boys that were coming out of it, this was all the education they were ever going to get. That school, I had a great headmaster. I mean, this was at the national school before we went on. And, uh, and he used to write his own pastiche, Gilbert and Sullivan. So it was kind of reawakened then, you know. I used to play the princess. I actually had a song to sing. I remember, remember to this day, it was called I Am So Gay This Happy Day. I want to sing for gladness, sing and be gay, dance all the day, banishing gloom and sadness. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't sing it now. <laughs> this is not my first play. I've had four plays to date with Drama on One. The first play was called Stranger in the Night, about a guy in his 20s going around Dublin at night, at a weekend, kind of a night town Dublin for the 90s. The second play was a play called Take Me Away. Take Me Away was a family drama about a group of brothers who were invited to meet their estranged father and their father has some news to tell them about their mother. Her play is called Sear Point and that was a genre piece, a detective story. And the fourth one is this one. I mean, if I were actually, before a play went on, say in the theatre, for instance, I would have a questionnaire with the audience and say, what did you not get? There's no point putting it on. I mean, then you have people coming out and say, that stuff's very confusing. You shouldn't get to that stage, you know? I mean, my test with a play anyway is, it's a 20-page test. I mean, if you don't get it in 20 pages, if you're not, forget it, man. Because if you're, and you've read it for probably four or five times, an audience is only going to get one go at this. And I've, I've been in a few of those. I mean, it's a real, it's a real privilege to be in the same room as John Kavanagh, Lisanne McLaughlin, Owen Foray, Kathy Rose O'Brien, Joe Taylor, and of course Pat Laffin. I don't actually do kind of one play a year if I can because I can't fit in. I can't fit in more than that. It takes three months, you know, because of so many other things to do. But I mean, it's just something that I really want to do. I also like to get on stage just to exercise the beast. You know, I think it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I've met people who haven't been on stage for six or seven years and it's a terrifying process, you know, I'm doing films or TV all the time, you know. I'd only do something that I'd want to see myself. I'm actually working on another radio play. The working title is called Woman 30s in Live Chat Cry for Help. I've also written a number of stage plays which are out and about with different production companies hoping to find a good home somewhere. Just finished a film with Tom Berenger and Bo Bridges and Fanula Flanagan and Fiona Glasscott and uh, Ned Denny uh, called uh, Supervised about a whole lot of form, former superheroes that were in, you know, like thing like Marvel Man. I was Marvel Man, I think. And uh, and they all end up in an old folks' home in Ireland because this woman starts at home and she's trying to steal her powers. She's some special equipment, you know, it's kind of fantasy. But it's it's a good screenplay as well, set against this background of fantastical happenings. I think it's an interesting combination, you know. So I enjoyed that. And then I've, um, I've been on Vikings for the past five years and it's coming back in for its sixth season. Yeah, but I'm going to spend time now having holidays, actually. So I'm going on three holidays before Christmas. So there you go. That's my life story. So far. <laughs> Another element that's kind of inspired the play, which is features a little bit in the series of questions that the audiologist asks throughout the play, is there is a hearing tests exam you can do on YouTube which is where different frequencies are played and then if you can't hear them you know you're in trouble basically so I did a bit of research on the kind of questions that people ask you when you go to get your hearing examined and then those questions then mutated into questions associated with the midlife crisis in men like there was never any stigma to me being half hearing or half deaf, whatever way you want to put it. I think it has affected me in the sense that it is difficult in social situations to hear conversations of more than one, you know, one person at a time. If someone's on the wrong side of me, I can't really hear what they're saying. Uh, and that's, you know, I've probably developed some bad overcompensating habits where I nod if I think I've heard something or say something which is not actually the right thing to say at the right time. It's probably also fed into my tendency to daydream and imagine and create fantasy. So it's probably influenced me as a writer in the sense that I'm inclined to retreat into my imagination. So that's, that's, that's probably where it comes from. The downside is... I can never experience stereo and headphones. So I don't know what that's like. 